It is time to get this party started. Welcome back to Lit for Christmas, the podcast where the books are full of Christmas spirits and so are the hosts. Join Marty and his friends as they drink their way through the great, and maybe not so great, works of Christmas literature. The fireplace is lit, the tree is lit, the hosts are lit. Grab a glass of something holly and jolly and join us as we get lit for Christmas again. Welcome back to this third episode of season two of Lit for Christmas. My name is Marty, and aside from December, this is one of my favorite months of the year, April, National Poetry Month. Um, That gives me a reason to talk about poetry, read poetry, write poetry, and watch poetry all day and all night. And my co-host for tonight can vouch for that. It has literally been a poetry palooza at our life, in our in our lives, at our house. <laughs> oh, brother. Of course, I am talking about the dark lady of my sonnets, the rhyme to my couplet, the high to the high to my coup. Uh, my wife, Beth. Uh, really? High to my coup? All right, give me a break. I've already had two glasses of Christmas grape juice, and I'm locked and loaded with poetry, so to speak. <laughs> but before we get into talking about what is making us feel holly and jolly tonight, let's talk about what's going on. How is life uh, with us in our household. If that dad blasted furnace would stay <laughs> on, we'd be much warmer, the doggone thing. Honest mm-hmm. indeed. We had like a guy out the other day and he was here for like 20 minutes and he charged us 400 bucks for the visit. And all he told us was, yeah, you need a new furnace. Well, no, he said he said it's fixed, but if it something happens, then we're going to have to talk about other options. But uh, yeah, it's been... um. It's been a little cool these last and not, these last week. And not cool in a good way. Like, you know, the kids say, well, you're cool. But they don't say that anymore anyway. But still, it's not been cool like, how you know. Many, how many glasses have you <laughs> already? Honestly, <laughs> I only counted like one. And you're still, you're already like over the edge. I may have had a little bit. The one that I showed you when I had some extra pizza bread was. I actually had a few sips of it before I brought it into the living room. Yes. Okay. Well, let's just suffice to say that our furnace has been giving us some uh, trials and tribulations this this last this last week, basically. Yes. Um, we've had two we've had two different furnace guys come out. Right. One guy came out twice. He was just here. Left. A few minutes ago, God bless him, came out on a, a Saturday night. And it and, was just a wire. Yeah, it was just a somehow the white the thermostat wire to our furnace came undone. And so there was no communication there. So me going down into the dark crawl space of our house to hit a reset button, it didn't do anything. And then he has me go down on the dark reset of the crawl well, space. 
What am I going to do about it? Well, you never then, tried to push Wait, the wait, button. wait. The reason I had you do that is so that he could show you where the reset button is so that if I'm not home, you know how to do it. And then he showed you where the reset button is and it was exactly where you said it was. And I pushed it too and it still didn't work. Okay. Well, that's because the thermostat way was... You know, let's talk about poetry. Okay. I want to talk about how much poetry we've had. Oh, good Lord, how much poetry we had. This um, month is, I, I don't see him anymore anymore. I ask him what you got going on tonight. And he's like, well, I have something going on at seven o'clock. Well, it's, it's because um, I planned as part of my job at the library, I planned a month long poetry festival. It's been crazy. I've and, never seen him. And it's been like, no, you see me, but it's like you come to poetry events. So right. that's the only time I see him is when he's working. Right. So yeah, it's been like. Poetry workshops and poetry readings and poetry contests and, and limerick, regular movies, limerick movies, movies about poems, movies about people, poetry and poems and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been like um, poetry, poetry, poetry. You know, and as as like a poet, um, I really love. But that's why I love this month. You know, um, aside from December, like I said, it's like my favorite month of the year. You can only have so much poetry in a month. No, that's not true. Oh, yes, I believe it's true. One can only have so much poetry. You can never have enough poetry in your life. Oh, yes, you can. No. (laughs) Oh, yes, you can. Well, anyway, you know, it's it's been a lot of poetry. It's been a lot of poetry. You know, and, um, you know, some people might be reaching their limit when it comes to, I haven't reached my limit yet. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, I, we've got one more week of the festival left, um, and a few more events, but, um, I know I've already, I've already decided I'm taking like a week off after, at the beginning of May. So that's but You've been working really hard. (laughs) And I and I have uh, and I'm on my third glass of our spirit tonight. So um, yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm feeling much more relaxed than I have felt in a very very long time. <laughs> you can't see her, but she looks like she's ready to pass out right now. She looks. I think the combination of furnace problems and poetry. Well, here's the other thing that we have to tell everybody. I mean, they might not know that. Last year, I took our tree down on Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Our, our Christmas tree came down on Palm Sunday. I believe Sunday. you because I don't remember last year. Well, that's because you weren't there to take it okay, down. Okay, good. Good thing. Um, But this year, our Christmas, our Christmas tree is finally down. Uh-huh. And it came down the week before Palm Sunday. Okay. So we did a little better this year. Mm-hmm. Um, again, wasn't here. Well, no, you you always I helped a little bit. conveniently. <laughs> you always you're always there to put the tree up, but yes. conveniently, you're never around to this take it. This was not down. my fault. I had to go to work. Uh-huh. I had to do the grocery shopping and go to work. This mm-hmm. was not my fault. I would have liked to help, but I just couldn't. Well, anyway, we got we got our tree down, um, um and. Uh, I have to say those first few nights after the tree was down, it was a little depressing. It was really dark in the house. I hate when the tree goes down because I don't get to look at it 
when I'm laying in bed and fall asleep to the lights. Yeah, it, it was a little depressing. It was. You know, and usually people get that, like, depressing, like, the tree is down, like, at the beginning, at the beginning of January. Well, we push it a little further than that. A little bit. I mean, maybe next year, maybe this coming year, we should take it down in January. What do you think? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? No. Well, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, you know... Um, it's this, it's this whole thing we have a, well, we're Christmas people, so we love Christmas and taking it down is really depressing. And plus it's a lot of work to take it. It's a tree down. We have to get into our daughter's room and it's like hidden away in the crawl space up in our daughter's room. And yeah, 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 I mean, get to that, those boxes to get down. Those, those boxes are, are like hidden away and you have to get a screwdriver and unscrew (laughs) something and it's just. Uh, as a All poet, I do is bring the boxes down the stairs. I don't help get them out. I'm like, just you take care of them. You know, and it, you know, I always, I always like say, I'm going to be real. I'm usually really careful about putting lights away and stuff You're like that. Really so careful. that this year they got terribly tangled. He was so upset with me. I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's just the way they're coming off the tree. It was, it was so frustrating to me because I'm, I am not like. I try to avoid the whole Clark Griswold thing, like next Hello. Christmas when you take the the lights out and they're just like in one big knot mm-hmm. and you hand them to somebody and say, okay, here, work on this. I try to avoid that. I literally try to like really, you know, be very careful about putting lights away. Yes. And, um, and you, you just tear them <laughs> off the tree. You did help a little bit this year. I will say this. But you just tear them off the tree and they end up in a pile on the floor. And then suddenly I'm taking 15 minutes to unravel your knot. No, you're not. <laughs> that was that was so terrible. I mean, honestly. It sounded funny when it came out. No, it didn't. It, it didn't. Okay, it might have sounded funny in your head, but it did not even sound funny coming out. Okay. Okay. And that's what she said. <laughs> that wasn't funny either. That was very That funny. was not funny at all. That, that was funny. It wasn't funny. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, so anyway, our furnace is working. Furnace we have working. heat. Yay. We have poetry in our lives. Some people are over poetry. I'm not. People. We have a poetry reading tomorrow night. Poetry. We have a movie. Po- we have a, po- a little dinner after the poetry reading tomorrow night. Yeah, right? we we have, have a little. Dinner? We have a little. Uh, uh, what they call it's it's not a dinner an after. Afterglow. It's called an afterglow. Ooh, it means little bit of dinner, not too much. It means snacks, Snacky. finger food, maybe so. some wine. Oh, good no. lord. So yeah, That's I'm not. Mean sure. I'm driving. Yeah, well, no, not for you. I plan on drinking. Of course. But of course. But anyway, um, yeah, so we've had poetry, our furnace is working, our Christmas tree is down. It's a good time. Um, time. And, um, you know, now we are looking, hopefully, for our furnace to at least hold out till the summer. Yep. And then we will have to deal with how we're going to um, get a new furnace. We're not talking to the guy who charged us $400 to come in for 20 minutes and tell us that we need a new furnace. We're talking to the other guy who was in tonight who helped us with the thermostat wire. We're definitely going with them because we trust them a lot more and they're good guys. They are good guys. They're good guys. And I offered him a glass of wine and he said he couldn't. Well, because he's the only one working tonight because his partner's vacationing, going to a car show, right? Car show? Yeah, I think right? that's what he said, a car I think that's show. What he said. 
But anyway, good guys. Good guys. Always, you good know, furnace. my dad was a furnace person. My dad was a furnace person. My, my dad was a furnace person. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to say this, you know, even when my dad would go out in the middle of the night when someone, I mean, when when you're a furnace person, someone calls in the middle of the night, especially in the, in the UP in January, and they say, my heat is out. You don't say, hey, can I wait? I'll come out in the morning. You get dressed, you go out and you fix, right? You know, I don't think my dad would have ever dreamed in his entire life of charging somebody $400 for 20 minutes worth of work. Yep. Now, granted, this person had to come from, had a, like a 20 minute drive or something That's to get to true. us. Dollars for twenty minutes of work. I wish I had that. You job. know what? Nobody listening to this really cares. I know, right? So I move on. What I'm minutes ago, and you wouldn't let me. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that you know, um, I I think that we have, as a as a society, we've moved away from what my dad was. Mm -hmm. You know, which is like he he really cared about people. And he didn't like believe in in bilking them right. out of as much money as they can and taking advantage of people when they're in trouble, right. um, which, um, you know, it's really sad to me. Mm -hmm. it, it's just very, very sad that there aren't more guys out there like like my father. Yeah, it really is. But I feel like the guys who came out tonight, the guy who helped us, I feel like they're pretty close. I, I, I think so, too. I I, of really course, we haven't guys. seen their bill yet, but, this you know, um, we'll see. But they came out twice and they haven't, they didn't bill us because the one, the guy who took the $400 from us, he pretty much emptied us out with the, we called the other guys and we're like, we don't have anything to pay you. So, so we've set up a GoFundMe. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. kidding. Yeah, we're just kidding. All right. All right. Well, okay. So yeah, I, you know, that's what's been going on in our lives. Poetry paloozas, furnace problems, Christmas trees disappearing. And um, now we're both drunk. So okay, all right. I think it's time. It is it is it time? I time think it's for time. what? All right, I can see the bum bum. <laughs> all right, I can see the bottom of my glass. <laughs> to talk about what ghost of Christmas present is haunting our lit for Christmas party tonight. Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas. Spirit, take me where you will. So tonight, I chose a drink solely because it appears um, in several of the poems uh, in tonight's Christmas lit that we're talking about. U.S. Poet Laureate Billy Collins' collection of poems nine horses but the one poem in particular i'm talking about is litany and I, I i want to read you this poem this is what inspired the drinks for tonight so let me just i i i had the poem written down but um i didn't i had it i swear um i should have remembered Nothing like preparing for the okay podcast. so here we go so this poem it's called litany and um this is why uh, it, it should become very apparent after I read this poem, what we are drinking tonight. So this is Litany by Billy Collins. Starts out with a, um, 
um, with a epithet, epithet, no, mm -hmm. epigram epithet. from Jacques uh, Criquillon. Um, and the quote is, you are the bread and the knife, the crystal goblet and the wine. And this is Billy Collins' poem, Litany. You are the bread and the knife, the crystal goblet and the wine. You are the dew on the morning grass and the burning wheel of the sun. You are the white apron of the baker and the marsh birds suddenly in flight. However, you are not the wind in the orchard, the plums on the counter, or the house of cards, and you are certainly not the pine-scented air. There is no way you are the pine-scented air. It is possible that you are the fish under the bridge, maybe even the pigeon on the general's head, but you are not even close to being the field of cornflowers at dusk. And a quick look in the mirror will show will show that you are neither the boots in the corner nor the boat asleep in its boathouse. It might interest you to know, speaking of this plentiful imagery of the world, that I am the sound of rain on the roof. I also happen to be the shooting star, the evening paper blowing down an alley, and the basket of chestnuts on the kitchen table. I am also the moon and the trees and the blind woman's teacup. But don't worry, I am not the bread and the knife. You are still the bread and the knife. You will always be the bread and the knife, not to mention the crystal goblet and somehow the wine. Yeah. So it's a beautiful little love poem. And um, if you haven't figured it out by now, um, what we are drinking, um, we are drinking wine tonight. Um, we are imbibing in a little of the grape with our Christmas lit um, tonight. And also because we already had a bottle of wine in our fridge tonight. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have to go out. All right. So, and that might have been it too, you know. There is a there is a poem in this book that mentions gin too. We could have done gin. Oh no. But it tastes like pine needles. But but my wife, my beautiful wife, mm -hmm. um, is not a big fan of gin as much as I am. I love gin. Mm -hmm. You know that. But but yeah, so um uh we are we have they didn't need to know that the only reason that we did it is because we have wine, but we did have wine, a free bottle of wine that Beth got from a um, a customer at the hotel where she worked at because Beth was so nice to them. So they gave her a bottle of wine. I know, right? But um, for those lit for Christmas partiers who prefer a non-alcoholic substitute for uh, what we drink tonight, um, I would suggest some sparkling uh, fruit juice to liven things up. Um, that's what we do with our kids on uh, on New Year's Eve, right? We Well, actually... Most of us drink. Yeah. We don't. We don't. We're not big drinkers on New Year's Eve, but Never we do drink. Um, no, um, we drink other times, but not on New Year's Eve, which is strange. Um, but we always have that sparkling grape juice. So um, it's um, so that that's what we're drinking. Nothing really. Um, there's a, there are a lot of poems in this book that talk about wine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was I I counted at least four or five references to wine. So obviously, Billy Collins. Um, likes likes a little bit of wine sometimes a little bit of gin with his poems so um yeah yeah so that's um that's the ghost of christmas uh present that is um haunting us tonight
But now it's time for an encounter with another Christmas spirit. Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You, you are the Spencer whose coming was foretold me. I am that spirit. What are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. So um, here we go. Um, Beth is reaching for her 500 pages of notes because she's in charge of the background here of our of our um, of our uh, Charles Dickens of tonight, um, uh, poet Billy Collins, um, U.S. poet former U.S. poet laureate Billy Collins. Um, so um, Beth, you want to give us a little. Uh, let me emphasize a little background on Billy Collins instead of the like five pages, but okay. you know. yeah, go ahead. Um, he was born March 22nd, 1941. He's 81 now. March 22nd, 1941. So he was born before Pearl Harbor Day, um, just a little bit before Pearl Harbor. Okay. Do you okay. say so? Yeah. Um, he was, his parents' names were William and Catherine. He grew up in Queens and White Plains in New York. He was the only child. And his mom um, was really um, important in his life. She cultivated the love of words, both written and spoken to him. Was he, she a reader or a writer? Or? Um, I just, I don't know if she wrote herself, but I know that she was a, uh, a she, big reader. She was a big reader, okay. yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Um, Gosh, what do I, I don't even know where to start. Um, he, where did he um, go to school? He went to college at the College of the Holy Cross, and he got his Sounds BA. Like a Catholic. <laughs> Catholic. Yeah, probably. He got his BA from there. He went to the University of California, Riverside, where he got his MA and his PhD in Romantic Poetry. Romantic, okay. So, um, and then he. That doesn't surprise me, considering his poetry, so. Right. Um, he had a. He, his professors at Riverside, he had a, a gentleman named Robert Peters, who was a Victorian scholar and poet, and he was influenced by Carl Shapiro, Howard Nemirov, and uh, Reed Whittemore, and through his adolescence, he was inspired by the Beat Generation poets. Okay. So he was into, like, probably Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and all of those, and and the ones that you mentioned, Howard Nemirov, and that, those were, like, World War II, they... World War II poets. They wrote a lot about their World War II experience. So, yeah. Okay. You say so. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Um. So what else would you like to know? Well, I mean, uh, you know, when did he start writing? What? It, I mean, was he always a poet or, I mean, what else, what else you got? I don't, um, I don't see him writing anything else besides poetry. Okay. It's the first book that he came out with, he, um, he actually... Um, in the 70s, he started to write short poems for the Rolling Stones magazine. And, the Rolling Stones? Uh-huh, for Rolling Stones, seriously. Wow. And okay. it was published as his first book called Poker Face in 1977. So his first book came out in 1977. He was born in 1941. So that would have made him 36 years old when he published his first book of poems. Okay. Okay, so then let's see what else. Um... He, um, then he had a fellowship for the NEA in 1986. Mm -hmm. He had a Guggenheim fellowship in 1993. Mm -hmm. 
And um, he did a sound recording, which is called Best Cigarette. He did that in 1993. Uh, let's see. Um, he's something interesting that, um, um, let's see, when do we want to go back to? Um, um, he and Paul Simon have engaged in four onstage conversations about poetry, music, and lyrics, but they did, that was kind of more recent than when he was Poet Laureate. So anyway, that was Poet Laureate of the U.S. or right. Poet Laureate of New York? Well, he was, he was Poet Laureate of the U.S. Um, from 2001 to 2003, and then he was the New York Poet Laureate from 2004 to 2006. He also won the Norman Mailer Prize for Poetry in 2014, and he was inducted into the American Academy of Arts and Letters in 2016. So he was U.S. Poet Laureate when, because um, I, uh, I remember this, he was U.S. Poet Laureate when 9-11 um, happened um, in 2001. So he was he was Poet Laureate. Because I, I, the reason that I remember that is because he wrote a poem. Right called The Names, right. which um, he actually read to a joint session of Congress. Oh, okay. Sorry, actually... am I just stepping oh, on no, your you're toes fine, here? You're fine. It was, he actually read it on um, September 6th of 2002, and he was asked by the Librarian of Congress to write the poem. Right. So, um, and he actually, um, he was very reticent in later times to read that poem again, because he just felt like it was so... Um, it was such a special poem and had to do with the victims of 9-11. He was very, very reticent to read that again. It's a, it's a great poem. I, I mean, I, I, I use it almost every year when I teach, um, when I, when I'm teaching on September 11th, I, I usually use that poem. It's, it's a, just, it's a really, really moving, moving, um, elegy. Um, just a, just a gorgeous poem. And, you know, and, and the thing is about his poetry is usually, I mean, I, not that he's not a serious poet, but there's usually there's usually a, a vein of humor through almost all of the poems that he writes. Right. But that one is just it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful lyric meditation. Um, just just gorgeous. Anyway, <laughs> I also found out that he founded the Mid Atlantic Review with his friends Walter Blanco and Steve Bailey. Okay. He has taught workshops across the U.S. and Ireland. He's been invited to read at the White House three times in 2001 and 2011 and 2014. He did something really cool for um, school age kids. He did this thing called Poetry 180. So this was part of his U.S. Poet Laureate, um, film, right? I think, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Because every U.S. Poet Laureate has to have some kind of um, some kind of program or something that they dedicate their their laureateship. To. I don't remember the timing, but I I would say that probably makes sense. Yeah, it was a it's called Poetry One Eighty: A Turning Back to Poetry. It's one for one poem for each day of the school year. He also did 180 more extraordinary poems for every day. And actually, the program's online. The poems are available online, and they're available for no charge. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm positive that that was part okay. of what he did when he was U.S. Poet Laureate. He really, um, I, you have to admire this. He was really about um, making poetry something very um, accessible. Right. Um, that, and in fact, that's, that's one of the things that I, I love about Billy Collins is that, I mean, his poetry 
while it's it's still very deep and has really um uh, really um strong deep complex messages it's he's one of the most accessible poets you could ever read well actually i read that some critics say his focus on the mundane makes the poetry very bland and non-academic well i mean a lot of people i i there's a lot of snobbery yes. when it comes right. to billy collins poetry and um and i don't i you know i, I and frankly i think that I get a little annoyed with that kind of academic snobbery. I, I think that um, in some ways, um, I, I don't understand poets that want to make their poetry so elevated that um, you yeah, always have, well, you always have to reach for an encyclopedia yeah. in order to understand it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of T.S. Eliot who sends you to, who sends you to the, to Google every time you read a poem of his. Yeah. You know, um, I'd like to be able to pick up the poetry and read it and not have to look up things. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for being accessible. And I don't think that being accessible means that you're not deep or complex in any way, shape or form. But I will agree. That, I mean, I, I have a lot of poet friends and um, especially in the academic world, um, there's a lot of looking down on Billy Collins, um, which I think is not warranted. I think that Billy Collins is a fantastic poet. Um, and, um, and for those, those uh, poetry professors in college who, you know, um, will tell, well, I have a friend who just took a class from a, from a poet in a university. And the first day of class, she said, you know, if, uh, if you are a fan of Billy Collins, this is not a class for you. And so I, you know, and I kind of hate that. Yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of really hate that, that there's this, there's this, um, snobbery, like you said. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. It's like, it's like suddenly, it's like you have to be in some kind of secret club right. in order to appreciate poetry like or be a poet. Poetry, that must be a bad thing. I, I think that, I think um, I, I mean, I, you know, some, I, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that sometimes his verse is a little light, mm -hmm. you know, and has humor in it, which what's wrong with a poem that makes you laugh every it once in a while? It doesn't always have to be deep and so hard to understand well, you. But yeah. I don't think that that, but because Billy Collins poems, I think are deep. Yeah. I mean, I think the book that we read I mean? sort like of so airs this that out. You feel like you can't get out. You have to have yeah. straw to be you know, able to breathe out of the I, 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 yeah. I, I, I think that's a really good way of looking, of, of describing that. You know, I, I can't stand people who look down on any kind of poetry. Although, well, I can't say that because I look down on some poets. But, um, um, but um, you know, the, this, this kind of, you know, just because your poems are accessible or your poems are funny or, you know, I don't have to Google every other word of your poem in order to understand it. That doesn't make your poems any less um, meaningful or important. Right. Um, and you know what? Those people that are academic snobs and and that look down at Billy Collins, well, they've never been U.S. Poet Laureate. Hello. Billy Collins has been U.S. Poet Laureate. So that should tell you something. something. Yes. Anyway, I'm sorry to step on your feet there. Oh, no, you're fine. So um, the New York Times called him the most popular poet in America, and um, poetry named him the the journal Poetry named him Poet of the Year in 1994. 
when he moved from the University of Pittsburgh to Random House, mm-hmm. when he moved, made, made that move for his books, his advance was six figures for a three-book deal, which was at that time virtually unheard of well, in poetry. Anybody that gets a million dollars for well, you yeah. get a million. Well, yeah, but but three. Right. Six, I mean, come on. That, yeah. I mean, I'd be happy with you know, I'd be yeah, happy with four figures. With four figures. I'd be happy four with three figures. figures. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> Let's be honest. We'd be happy with two figures at this point. I know. I want to pay more. Than that, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So he was actually in 2005 the first annual recipient of the Mark Twain Prize for Humor and Poetry. Really, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Yeah, he was the first one. Hmm. And um, his poem, Fishing on the, this is really hard to say, sorry. Fishing on the Susquehanna in July. Very good. That's it, Susquehanna. It was added to the preserved works of the U.S. Native American Literary Registry as being deemed a culturally significant poem. It's been included on national AP exams for high school students. So, you academic snobs out there. Hello. Um, you know. They thought uh, it was good enough. It's not just that. I mean, how can a per, how can you look down on someone that wins all these awards and recognitions? Right. Uh, okay, I'm trying to take another drink. All right. So he was actually talking to the younger crowd. Now he was actually on the PBS series Martha Speaks, and he played himself in 2012. Well, I remember okay. that episode. Hey, we watched that. Yes, we did watch that. But most people reading this won't know. Martha Speaks was about a dog that spoke Mm -hmm. martha was the dog that spoke and he and he was uh uh, he played himself in the Mm -hmm. series i remember that and i thought that was so cool to have a poet um you know being a character in a cartoon for kids right i mean like i said you know all you academic poet snobs out there you know um you know when are you going to be a character in a cartoon hello never right Okay. So during the pandemic, he went on Facebook Live, like so many people did. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see here. He's still doing this. Yeah? He still yeah. does Facebook Live? He still does it. Every like every Monday night or something like that, he does his poetry live thing. Cool. I, I subscribe to it. I watch it all the time. He still did that? That's yeah. really cool. Yep. Yeah, you can actually interact with him and send him comments and stuff. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. What is it? What is it called, though? It's like... Um, I didn't find what it was called. I just know that he reads on Facebook Live. That's well, all I, I think all you got to do is go to his Facebook account and subscribe, and it'll tell you when he goes live. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, he he's been doing that since the pandemic started, and he's he's continuing to do it. And it's so much fun because I mean, he's at home, and you know, it's just uh, it's almost like he's a part of your house when you watch it. It's really cool. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. The most recent book that he had published was called Whale Day and Other Poems, and that was published in 2020. Yeah, and book. when you Google best Billy Collins poems, mm-hmm. they come up with The Rain in Portugal poems in 2016, which was a New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. So here's some stuff that you didn't know you needed to know about Billy Collins. I, I didn't know you I didn't needed know to know. You needed to know. I, I need to know this. Everybody needs to know this, this about is Billy very Collins. very important information. All right. It will lead you a little bit into the information of who Billy Collins really is. So because he was born in the 1940s, he's a person of the silent generation, which I don't know what that means, but they felt the need to put it in there. The silent generation. I You know, I'm not quite sure what that means, but it has to be probably something to do with the fact that 
Um, it, a silent generation would be people that aren't really communicative about their feelings or oh, something yeah, I like that. that. I imagine I just that. very kind of stoic and yeah, you know that I kind of thing. That. His birth sign is Aries. His life path number is 22. What the hell is a life path I know, path right? Number? I had to look it up myself. Okay, so he is a master number. His 22 is a master number. Let me explain to you what the life path number is, though. Okay. The life path number is the most significant number in um, numeral your numerology chart. It contains a clear, accurate, and dependable information on what your life's journey will actually look like. No numerology is not really a science, but okay. It describes the direction your life will take, the challenges you'll encounter, and the opportunities you'll meet. When I did mine, oh my God, it was it was it was so much like me. I was like, oh my God, I yeah, can't even believe so, this. Uh, what do you mean? It, the my number ex- described me exactly like who I am and how I be how my behavior is and how I'm very giving and loving. It was amazing. But let's get back Are to Billy sure? giving and loving. Shut up. Okay. This is for other people, not necessarily <laughs> for you. No. Okay. Well, I'll agree with that. Okay. So the master number, because he's 22 and he's a master number, it's associated with manifestation and is all about creating, building foundations and stability. Does that not sound like Billy Collins? That sounds like Billy Collins. Know, right? Yeah. So his birth flower is a daffodil. His birth stone is aquamarine and he's from the year of the serpent. His lucky numbers are two, eight, and nine, and his lucky colors are red, light yellow, and black. This is not science, you I know. know right? This is just information about Billy Collins you didn't know you needed to know. I still don't think I need to know it. Well, I'm just saying it was interesting information. It's hard to find, you know, information about Billy Collins beyond what, did, what how they do you say. figure out your life. Is it like the year you were born? That's your life path it's number. Just, just Google. How do I figure out my life number? And it'll tell you how to figure. It's something about the days of, you know, like if you add the the day you were born plus the month you were born plus the year you were born, it has to do with those it numbers. It sounds like a load of horse crap to me. I, I can't tell you, though. <laughs> my, my description was to the letter. It was exactly like who I am. Uh-huh. So you, you asked me to find out how many collections of poetry he has. And he actually has 17. 17 17 books and that then he's he's crazy. also he's also edited a couple i don't remember the names of that them but i'm pretty sure he's edited a couple of them he had seven before he was poet laureate he had two during the time he was poet laureate and the one of the book that we're reading tonight is one of those books yep right? nine yeah. horses is from 2002 and he also did sailing alone around the room new and selected poems that was in 2001 he had eight after he was poet laureate. And that is Wait. pretty much what, oh, excuse me. Can't forget about his wife. Okay. He's married, but he didn't have any kids. I think he's more married to his work than anything right. else. But His spouse's name is Susanna Gale Collins. And I guess she used to be an attorney. Okay. But I'm not sure. I'm pretty, I she's, guess she's probably retired. I will, I will say this. She is much younger than him oh. because she's the one that sort of runs the live, live streams. Yeah. So she is, she's much younger than him, but that's um, interesting. I don't know why that's interesting, but it's interesting to me. Um, anyway, yeah, he's, um, he, you know, I, I admire Billy Collins, you know, and you know, any, any of you, if there's any academic poet snobs out there, all I can say is screw you. <laughs> um, you know, Billy Collins is, is, um, his work is amazing to it me. Is. Um, I, I think that there is something to be said for accessibility. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, some of you might know this who've listened to this podcast before, 
But I mean, I served two terms as UP, Upper Peninsula Poet Laureate. And one of my one of my goals as as poet laureate when I was working uh, in the Upper Peninsula was to was to make poetry, make people realize that poetry can be accessible. It can be something that is it, you can understand and you can really relish and make a part of your lives. I think that you know if poetry is not accessible to you, it's useless. It's absolutely useless. A poem that you can't understand is not a poem that's going to be of any use to you whatsoever. That poem, right? Exactly, it's going to mean nothing to you whatsoever. So I did want to. I thought it was interesting. This he he gives this quote in two thousand four. Like I thought, you know, because he's been U.S. poet laureate, and then he was like New York State poet laureate. Yeah, he found that right immediately after he was U.S. poet laureate. I'm thinking to myself, well, and he actually says he says. Moving from the position of U.S. Poet Laureate to New York State Poet Laureate might seem like a demotion or a drop in rank to the military-minded. I wondered about that, too. I wondered how he felt from going from being the U.S. Poet Laureate to be the Poet Laureate of the, of the New York. He says, it might even appear that I'm heading toward eventually becoming crowned, being crowned Laureate of my zip code. <laughs> He says, but in fact, it's very gratifying to be honored again as a representative of poetry, this time by my native state where I grew up, more or less, and continued to live. That's what he said in 2004. But, you know, he seems like a genuinely good, nice guy. Seems like a genuinely good and nice guy. Um, I, I think that he um, really, I think he deserves all of the um, the accolades that he's gotten. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you know, despite despite the criticism, I, I don't think that his, and, and, and I will agree with this, that his concentration on sort of the mundane uh, details of life I mean, those are things that we we do uh, every day of our lives, you know. I mean, the fact that, you know, he writes poems about, you know, the cheese board in his kitchen or something like that. I mean, that's I mean, that's something that everybody can relate to. Um, So, you know, it's it's um, yeah, I, I just can't. I, I, I guess I, I just, I, it, it sort of flummoxes me, um, you know, and I, I've been in, I've been in academia almost, um, oh gosh, over over 30 years of of my life. And I, I have a lot of friends who are academic poets and who teach at the university level and everything like that. Um, and some of them like Billy Collins. And some of them have that attitude of, you know, like looking down on Billy Collins, you know, and and saying stuff like, you know, if if you like Billy Collins, this is not the class for you, um, you know, whatever, you know, um, I I always say, and I've been saying this every day of this month when I've been doing this poetry festival, that if you are going through life saying, I hate poetry, it's because you haven't met yeah, the yeah. right, uh-huh. you haven't met the right poet. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't met your poet because there is a poet out there for everyone. And I'm telling you, anybody listening to this, if you think that you don't like poetry, pick up a book by Billy Collins and read it. And I'd almost bet that you're going to end up liking poetry. Yep. So um, that's that's it, you know. All right. Well, um, you know, as we head into, it feels like the hour two of this, even though we're only like 40 minutes into this, but... I suppose we should start talking about tonight's book, um, Billy Collins's poetry collection, Nine Horses, which did come out in, you said, 
2001 or 2002? 2002. So this was his second collection that came out while he was Poet Laureate of the United States, which was, I think he was Poet Laureate from 2001 to 2002. 2003. So he had two books come out Mm -hmm. in that span, which is kind of an amazing accomplishment. Um, But I I think that Nine Horses sort of sounds like the song 12 Days of Christmas, like, you know, on the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me nine horses. Honey, Mm. that isn't why we chose this book. Uh, I know that. I know that. We chose this book. I I think I didn't choose this book. I think it was a selfish. We chose all the books. You know, I I choose books that, well, I wanted to do poetry because it's National Poetry Month. And I, you know, it's really hard to come up with um, Christmas poetry, uh, poems by um, poets uh, who write Christmas poetry, because aside from like um, Dr. Seuss is Uh the, you know, How the Grinch Stole Christmas or, you know, Twas the Night Before Christmas by Clemency Moore. Um, you know, it's hard to find Christmas poems. And I think that I think there are there are a couple poems in this book that are Christmas poems. Mm-hmm. Um you take a very loose interpretation of lit for Christmas. Christmas lit. Well, you know, um it allows us to talk about a lot of different literature. So um, you know, but um this this book um by Billy Collins, Nine Horses. Um, it's one of my favorite of his collections. Um, I, I just, um, you know, it's it's a poem obvi- that's obviously written by a person who is um, um, becoming advanced in age, mm-hmm. because a lot of the poems in this book are sort of meditations on getting old mm-hmm. and meditations on mortality and mm-hmm. things like that. But, uh, you know, that being said, um, I would say that, you know, you would think meditations on mortality would be really dark and depressing poems, but they're not really dark and depressing poems. They're, they're, they're poems that really have a lot of humor to them mm-hmm. and um, sort of uh, um, really, uh, they, they, yes, they reflect on death, but they don't reflect on death in a really depressing way, which is really hard to do, right. I think. Um, so, Beth, do you have a poem that you want to, um, any any particular poem that you really stuck out to you that you want to talk about? I have a couple. I mean, I, honest to goodness, when I re- read the book and I was taking notes, I pretty much have notes on pretty much every single book in the, sorry, every single poem in the book, you know, because it, it, everything, it's just, I wrote like little things like, you know, unexpected and lovely and this is just gorgeous and that's what undergrads write in their books when they're reading poetry (laughs) i'm gonna just go for some reason um rooms the poem rooms which page are we on um i'm on page 61 okay it was um something i liked it right off the bat and then i liked the last image so i'll i'll just go ahead and read you the poem because um like i said the image of it says rooms After three days of steady, inconsolable rain, I walked through the rooms of the house, wondering which would be best to die in. That right there, I was like, whoa. That just said something to me right at the beginning of the poem. So then I'll read you the rest of it so you can connect to it. And then, like like I said, the end was something that really hit me, too. The study is an obvious choice with its thick carpet and soothing paint, its overstuffed chair, preferable to a doll-like tumble down the basement stairs. Mm -hmm. And the kitchen has a certain appeal. It seems he was boiling water for tea, the inspector will offer, holding up the melted kettle. Then there is the dining room, just the place to end up face down at one end of its long table in a half-written letter. 
for the bedroom with his mix of sorry, excuse me, with his mix of sex and sleep upright against the headboard, a book having slipped to the floor, make it Mrs. Dalloway, which I have yet to read. Dead on the carpet, dead on the tiles, dead on the stone cold floor. It's starting to sound like a ballad sung in a pub by a man with a cold red face. It's all the fault of the freezing rain, which is flicking against the windows. But when it finally lets up and gives way to broken clouds and a warm breeze, when the trees stand dripping in the light, I will quit these dark angular rooms and drive along a country road into the larger rooms of the world, so vast and speckled, so full of ink and sorrow. A road that cuts through bare woods and tangles of red and yellow bittersweet these late November days. And maybe under the fallen wayside leaves there is a hidden there is hidden a death a nest of mice, each one no bigger than a thumb, a thumb with closed eyes, a thumb with whiskers and a tail, each one contemplating the sweetness of grass and the startling brevity of life. Yeah, I really love 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 that poem. Um, I mean, it really sort of um has all of that stuff that we've been talking about. You know, Billy Collins started focusing on these really mundane details of life um and sort of in in infusing them with with deeper meaning um you know all of that stuff about the kitchen and the different rooms and everything like that i mean i think frankly that's something that everybody thinks about especially when they reach a certain age you know mm -hmm. it's like you know well which i mean honestly i mean you probably maybe you've thought of this or maybe you haven't but it's like you know where would you want to die how would you want to die mm -hmm. You know, that everybody does that at a certain point in their lives, you know. You know, I certainly don't want to die, like, driving to work behind yeah, my wheel of the right. car. I don't want to hurt anybody else. I just want to go to sleep. I well, just want it to be peaceful. But, I mean, it's just this It's just this whole thing. And I love I love how he gets into these details, you know, like, um, like uh, or the bedroom with its mix of sex and sleep yeah. upright against the headboard. Yeah. A book having slipped to the floor in this detail, make it Mrs. Dalloway, which I have yet to read. Mm -hmm. So he's got this whole thing, dead on the carpet, dead on the tiles, dead on the cold, stone cold floor. It's starting to sound like a ballad sung in a pub by a man with a cold. All of these details are just these kind of gorgeous details that he imbues these poems with. Mm -hmm. Um uh, I mean, uh, you know, I I would say that I mean I would I would like defy most poets, you know, writing these days to be able to invest that much into a, a poem like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I love this. I love the ending, especially uh, because the mice. I love the mice at the end of this, um, and I'm not a fan of rodents, right, yeah, you know, I know that, that, but I love this. And maybe under the fallen wayside leaves, there's a hidden nest of mice. Each one no bigger than a thumb, a thumb with closed eyes, a thumb with whiskers and a tail. That kind of description, right. you know, um, you can actually see that. Okay, I saw that right away. Um, and then each one contemplating the sweetness of grass and the startling brevity of life i had to look up what brevity meant because i wasn't sure i thought i had an idea what it meant but i mean i'm like how i was like you end a poem with mice thinking about the brevity of life and actually the whole poem has been talking about the brevity of life yeah. I, mean, I was just that just stunned me i was like whoa well, when you reach a certain age 
I mean, and, and Billy Collins is up there in age mm -hmm. now. And when he wrote this, even then he was up there in age. He was pushing 60 mm -hmm. at the time. Um, you know, you reach this point where you think, oh my God, where is my life gone? Mm -hmm. You know, how did I reach this age? You know, and that's where he's at mm -hmm. at this point. And, you know, to compare his life to the life of, of mice, yes. mm -hmm. I mean, makes complete and total sense because, you know, a creature that has such a shortened lifespan, mm -hmm. I mean, it, even uh, all of the stuff that you would want to squeeze into a life is even more concentrated. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I love, I love that. Um, I love that poem. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's concentration. It's, it's meditation on mortality, um, and mortality in those kinds of mundane details, right. um, that we all live with, right. you know, I mean, you know, we all do that every day of our lives. You know, we, we all have to get up in the morning. We all have to whatever, take a shower mm -hmm. or get dressed, brush our teeth. Mm -hmm. We all have to do the dishes or mm -hmm. make our bed. Well, some of us make our beds. Hey, hey, hey. Um, and, you know, and um, that that was a dig at my wife because she never makes the bed. I do too. Anyway, you were Not talking very about Billy Collins. Yeah, but all of these kinds of mundane things, you know, I think that to overlook the importance of those mundane things mm -hmm. that we do every day in life, and to try to search for bigger, more profound topics to, to focus on, I think it's a load of crap. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't do that in our normal lives. Right. We focus on those mundane details and those mundane details have meaning. Right. Those mundane details have significance. And to deny that is, um, is just a complete and total lie, mm -hmm. is a complete and total lie. And I think that's what's really beautiful about that poem. And, you know, and that reminds me, that poem sort of calls to mind, I think, that the first poem um, of the of the entire collection, because mice play a, a big part in it. Um, it's um, Night Letter to the Reader. And and here it is. I, I, I'm going to, I think this is the one that I'm thinking. Um, wait a minute, maybe the, no. I'm. First poem is the country. Oh no, I'm talking about the country, not that, not the first poem. Uh, the, so this is the country, right? Here, here, listen to this. This is this is again his focus on mice, and I, you know, and mice appear a lot in his poems. Um, I uh, for some reason it's one of his, uh, it's one of his things that he muses on quite a bit. So this one is called the country. I wondered about you. When you told me never to leave a box of wooden strike anywhere matches lying around the house because the mice might get into them and start a fire. But your face was absolutely straight when you twisted the lid down on the round tin where the matches you said are always stowed. Who could sleep that night? Who could whisk away the thought of the one unlikely mouse padding along a cold water pipe behind the floral wallpaper gripping a single wooden match between its needle the needles of its teeth who could not see him rounding a corner the blue tip scratching against a rough hewn beam the sudden flare and the creature for one bright shining moment suddenly thrust ahead of his time now 
a fire starter, now a torchbearer in a forgotten ritual, little brown druid illuminating some ancient night. Who could fail to notice, lit up in the blazing insulation, the tiny looks of wonderment on the faces of his fellow mice, one-time inhabitants of what once was your house in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I love that poem. Um, I love that. I, I love the weird details of it, you know. What really stuck out, what I wrote in my notes is what really stuck out in my mind was that little, that little piece up at the very top of the page, like the second line from at the top of the page where it says, little brown druid. I was like, oh. I said, where does he come up with these things? Like, you're talking about a mice yeah. and it's a little brown druid. It's it's delicious. But but it's that, it's that concentration. I mean, the mouse, I think is... I mean, because we all have mice in our house. I hate to admit it because yeah. I'm not a big fan of, uh, my wife knows this. Oh, I'm yeah. not a big fan of rodents. Oh, yeah. um, that That's one of my phobias is rodents. But I, um, but this, the, the something so mundane as a mouse in the house mm-hmm. suddenly becomes really, really significant because the mouse in the house in this poem becomes the catalyst for the ending of everything, right. you know, this kind of conflagration of an entire life, an entire uh, entire house just going up in flames because of this mm-hmm. um, this little brown druid in the right. world right. with the with the with the um, mal- with the um, the the Not? matches in its seat. I'm sorry, I've had way too much wine, <laughs> and I just poured the last of this bottle of wine into my glass, so. I'm going to be even more co- incoherent in a little bit. But yeah, that's that's one of my favorite. Can I read um, another favorites. one of mine? Yeah, absolutely, but yeah. I, I I just love the mice um the, in the in these poems. Now, this one I really like. It's called To My Patron. This one I really like because I read it, I'm just, you know, reading along, la 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 la, and then I get to the end and I went, "Oh." oh, oh. So, let me read it to you, okay? Mm-hmm. It's called To My Patron. I do not require a ton of pink marble, a hundred tubes of paint, or an enormous skylit loft. All I need is a pen, a little blank notebook, and a lamp with a 75-watt bulb. Of course, an oak desk would be nice, maybe a chair of ergonomic design, and a collie lying on an oval rug, always ready to follow me anywhere or just sniff my empty palm. And I would not turn down a house canopied by shade trees, a swing suspended from a high limb, flowering azaleas around the porch, pink, red, and white. I might as well add to the list a constant supply of pills that would allow me to stay awake all night without blinking. A cellar full of dusty bottles of Bordeaux, a small radio. Nothing, I assure you, would go unappreciated. Now, if you wouldn't mind leaving me alone, and please close the door behind you so there won't be a draft on my shoulders, I will get back to work on my long metrical poem, the one I will recite to the cheering throng prior to your impending beheading. Seriously? That uh, that literally came out of nowhere. I'm like, what is he writing about here? And I get to the end. Did it went, really come out of nowhere, though? I think it he did. Well, I, I wasn't ready for his imminent beheading. Course. I wasn't ready for a beheading. I was ready for like, you know, uh, I was ready for something to happen in the end. But I did not expect a beheading like that. I well, I mean, I remember reading that poem, and um, uh, and I I just reread it because I reread this book just before we we started recording, um. And it's this whole, what page is that on? It's on page 91. Okay, so it's on page 
For those of you that actually went out and bought this book or, or got it from your library, which I, I encourage you to support your libraries. Um, so um, let me just get to this page. Um, yeah, I, you know, this this whole idea, because one, um, poets used to have patrons all the time. Um, they used to have really wealthy people who would just literally pay them to be poets. You know, which, you know, I wish that as a poet, I wish there was some wealthy person out there. Um, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, mm -hmm. I'm available. Be glad to be your patron. I'd be I'd be your patron as long as you can buy a new furnace for me. We're mm -hmm. all good. Um, but, um, you know, they're, they're, that used to be a thing, you know, uh, and, and I love the fact that he starts with, well, all I need is a pen. Mm -hmm. A blank notebook, a lamp with a 75 watt bulb. And then he starts building on that, yeah, right? So like, I could know. use this right. and I could use that. And right. it just, it, you know, he's a, he's sort of a master at that where he starts really simply. And then it starts, and then he starts with the inflation of it. Mm -hmm. He starts with the, um, the, the exaggeration and, mm -hmm. the, you know, embellishment of it until you get, you get to the, like the last part of it where I might as well add to the list a constant supply of pills, you know, that would allow me to stay awake all night without, without blinking a cellar full of dusty bottles of Bordeaux. Again, there's wine. Lots of wine in mm -hmm. these poems. Mm -hmm. um, a small radio. Nothing I assure you would go unappreciated. Now, if you wouldn't mind leaving me alone, mm -hmm. which is what all poets want. They want the money to be able to just sit down and write. Mm -hmm. And please close the door behind you so that there won't be such a draft on my soldiers, soldier, shoulders. And then, you, like you said, you get to this end. Mm -hmm. I will get back to work on my long metrical poem. Oh, the one I will recite to the cheering throng prior to your impending beheading. And of course that, you know, that's all an allusion to like, you know, the French revolution and everything like that, where you had patrons who, wealthy patrons who did support, you know, the poets and artists and things like that. You know, the bourgeois who, um, who eventually were beheaded like that. So, I mean, this is, this is where I think Billy Collins is brilliant and where I think that he's, that he's sort of underestimated he he can imbue something so simple and mundane the rest of these details of this poem with something that has that real significance oh, yeah. that has that kind of social criticism mm -hmm. and see in a lot of people this is where where i think that the the quote-unquote academic poets take issue with them is is that um some of his poems seem like there's a punchline at the end of the poem like, you know, ah, ha, ha, here's a gotcha. Uh -huh. it's, uh, it's sort of like, a, like, I don't know. I mean, people look down on O. Henry as a, as a, as a short story writer, because he always has that twist at the end. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, I, I, I don't think that um, Billy Collins is like that. I think that the whole poem leads you to that point. I don't think that that's a punchline or anything that that's really unexpected whatsoever when you get to it. Um, I, I really love um, that that ability, his ability to um, sort of imbue that, imbue a poem with um, that much depth, especially a poem that has um, so much kind of very kind of minuscule, tiny detail to it. Um, and then you get to that final point 
where you remember what the title of the poem is to my patron mm -hmm. and which the patron is right built right into it and then you get to the end of it and so you i mean it shouldn't be unexpected when you get to the end of that poem um and um and, and again this is where i thumb my noses at those as those critics of billy collins who say that he's not a serious poet um he is a serious poet and he has serious things to say you know um i think that um since this is a christmas podcast we have to um read the one poem that really is um really is a christmas it's about christmas okay. it truly is okay. um and it comes right near the end of the collection and it's called christmas sparrow we're on page 115. okay okay um there there's there's two poems that really are about christmas in some way but this is the one that's really directly about christmas and it's a beautiful beautiful poem i mean if you actually if you google christmas poetry um uh you will find that every single site that um you find will mention this poem christmas sparrow um and it's it's just a gorgeous gorgeous poem um that i really think captures uh christmas christmas sparrow by billy collins The first thing I heard this morning was a rapid flapping sound, soft, insistent. Wings against glass as it turned out downstairs when I saw the small bird rioting in the frame of a high window, trying to hurl itself through the enigma of glass into the spacious light. Then a noise in the throat of the cat who was hunkered on the rug, told me how the bird had gotten inside, carried in the cold night through the flap of a basement door and later released from the soft grip of teeth. On a chair, I trapped its pulsations in a shirt and got it to the door so weightless it seemed to have vanished into the nest of cloth. But outside, when I uncapped my hands, it burst into its element, dipping over the dormant garden into a spasm of wing beats, then disappeared over a row of tall hemlocks. For the rest of the day, I could feel its wild thrumming against my palms as I wondered about the hours it must have spent pent in the shadows of that room, hidden in the spiky branches of our decorated tree, breathing there among the metallic angels, ceramic apples, stars of yarn, its eyes open like mine as I lay, lie in bed tonight, picturing this rare, lucky sparrow tucked into a holly bush now, a light snow tumbling through the windless dark. I mean, that's just a gorgeous, gorgeous poem. And, you know, that's a poem that proves the power of Billy Collins, mm -hmm. um, Billy Collins poetry. You know, um, it's just, it's just this gorgeous lyric meditation on nature, on, on, on birds, on, on Christmas, on, 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 
you know, all those things that are really significant in life, these tiny, tiny moments. And that's what all poets should do. Mm -hmm. You look for these tiny moments in your life that are imbued with deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. And this is what that poem is about. Mm -hmm. This tiny bird trapped in a Christmas tree that's released and suddenly he finds his whole day, the whole Christmas day, you know, focused on this tiny, tiny bird in the tree. And it's one of the most gorgeous Christmas poems I've ever read in my entire life. And, um, you know, anybody that would, any friend of mine or not so friend of mine, poet friend of mine who would, you know, look down on Billy Collins, I would like defy them to tell me that that is not a magnificent poem. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous poem. Um, yeah, I could go on like this for a long time because I've, I've had like almost half a bottle of wine now, so. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think more than half a bottle of wine. I think it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had about a glass out of it. Well, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, it takes a little bit more. It takes a it takes a, a vineyard to um, make me drunk, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway. You had lots of practice of it when you were younger. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, the stories, I've, the stories you've told me yourself. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, so is there any other poems that you want to talk about before no, we... Those were my real... Those are two really big standouts for me. You know, I, I, I think that... Um, I, I mean, before... As we wrap up this discussion, you know, um, it, it really is, for me, the fact that, I mean, Billy Collins is a... For those of you that say you don't like poetry and you're listening to this podcast... Please, you know, um, don't don't say that you haven't met the poet that that your poet, mm -hmm. you know, and there's there's I think there's a poet out there for everybody, mm -hmm. whether it's a cowboy poet or whether it's, you know, T.S. Eliot, you know, God help you if it's T.S. Eliot mm -hmm. or or, you know, you could do worse than Billy Collins. Mm -hmm. You know, Billy Collins is an amazing poet mm -hmm. and a poet that I think really speaks to everybody's lives in a way. Um, and um, for those of you that are academic snobs um, that think that Billy Collins is not a true and serious poet and shouldn't be taken seriously, all I can say is screw you. Um, you know, yes. And that, I say that after, um, after drinking like almost a full bottle of wine because Beth was on a different bottle of wine when she was drinking. So I've almost, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's my take on Billy Collins. I love Billy Collins. National Poetry Month, you know, I think that Billy Collins has done more for poetry and making poetry accessible to people than um, any other poet out there right now. Okay, so we've been talking poetry and Billy Collins for a long time now. Well, I mean, an hour and ten minutes. That's not too bad. Maybe, well, I guess, I guess an hour. It seemed like three hours or something to you, whatever. It is, it is National Poetry Month, okay? So the time has come to rate this month's Christmas lit on its Christmas litness. Christmas litness? That's right, I went there. Lit litness? Really? Mm -hmm. All right, all right. So here it is. My co host and I rate all of the lit on the podcast from one to five, Tiny Tim's. Okay. 
So one Tiny Tim is the absolute worst, the bottom. Um, Tiny Tim gets a job writing Hallmark cards, develops diabetes on top of all of his other problems, and dies of chronic obstructive end rhyme. Okay? Mm -hmm. And Scrooge changes his name to Ogden Nash and ends up rhyming talcum with welcome. Five Tiny Tims being the best. Tiny Tim changes his name to Rudyard Kipling and becomes the youngest person to win the Nobel Prize in Literature. I raise a glass to that. And Scrooge changes his name to Clara Barton, serves as a nurse in the Civil American Civil War, and founds the Red Cross. Wow. Yeah. That's That'd pretty be good. good. So, um, Beth, here we go. How many Tiny Tims did nine horses earn from you? Now, let me respond. Let me, for if you've never listened to this pod podcast before, However many tiny Tims that we that we give a work does not necessarily reflect its its um how good it is. It just reflects on how much Christmas is in it and how Christmassy it makes us feel, right? And this one's got to be a one. You're going with one. Well, it's gotta Why? Be one because well, well, let me think here. If we're talking about Christmas in the sense that it makes me feel warm and fuzzy and there are unexpected things that happen, like during Christmas. <clears throat> it makes me think about the little things that are important. Maybe I could give it like a three. Okay, you've gone from a one to a three. Well, I had just had Which to. One is I just it? had to think about it for a little. But bit. But again, again, it has to be specifically Christmas. Christmas. Okay, I'll split the difference and I'll give it a two, because I don't think it's exactly, it's exactly very Christmassy. So but, would you sit down and read this at Christmas and say, oh, this is a Christmas book? No. So you're going to stick with two? Mm. I'm not, I'm, I'm just asking you. I'm not trying to convince you one way or the other. Okay. If we're going strictly on Christmas and whether this book makes me think of Christmas, then I guess I got to stick with one. Okay. As Regis, Regis Philbin would say or would have said, is that your final answer? That's my final answer. You're sticking with one. One. Um, you know, um, there, as I was rereading this book this evening, preparing for recording tonight, um, I came across two poems in this book that um, reflect Christmas or mention Christmas even. Um, the one is that Christmas Sparrow, which I think is an absolutely gorgeous Christmas poem. If we were rating the Christmas... Christmas litness, Christmas litness. Mm -hmm. uh, on just that one poem, mm -hmm. I would probably give it five Tiny Tims because right. it's a beautiful, beautiful Christmas poem. However, you also have to keep in mind that that one Christmas poem is couched within 120 pages of other poems right. that don't necessarily reflect Christmas spirit in any way, shape, or form, right? Right. So that I, I'm leading it all up. So uh, leading up to that, okay. I'm going to say this book gets, that's that's my drunken attempt to at a drum roll. Okay. okay. I'm going to say one tiny Tim from me as well. Okay. So I um, mean, just, just because there's, there is one gorgeous Christmas poem. There's two poems in here that I say are Christmassy, um, but one that's absolutely Christmas. And the rest of the poems are really beautiful meditations on everyday things. And especially, um, the, I think this book um, is a meditation on mortality, on aging and everything like that. 
So if we av average those two um, Tiny Tims together, one from you, one from me, it's going to be a straight one Tiny Tim for Billy Collins's um, nine horses. Um, it's not a really, it's not a Christmas book mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. It has one, it, it has a little bit of Christmas in it, um, but um, yeah, it's, it's not going to get huge, huge ratings from me. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, now that we have drank and ranked. Mm -hmm. That was a bad rhyme there. Bad. I like that, really, dranked and ranked. That's really bad. Dranked isn't a word, is it? It is now. Okay. Um, the time has come for us to create our own Christmas lit. I'll honor Christmas in my heart and I'll try and keep it all the year. I live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. The lessons that they teach. That time in the lit for Christmas party when we, your hosts, are drunk enough to take up pen and paper and embarrass ourselves by trying to write something coherent. Well, this month, obviously, it is the lessons that Billy Collins teaches. I'm going to give you a writing prompt based on a poem from Nine Horses, and then Beth and I are going to write for 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, Marty and I will share what we have written. Um, but... Um, we don't want to be alone in our embarrassment. We never want to be alone in our embarrassment. Okay. So grab whatever you write with. And once you hear the prompt, pause the podcast, set a timer for 15 minutes, and write with us. So finish off the bottle of wine or sparkling fruit juice, put on a little Bing Crosby, and get in the Yuletide mood. I... Don't think I could handle any more wine, and plus, I don't, don't think that we, we, have, we don't have any more. I already finished out the bottle. So, what do you have for us tonight? All right. So, um, yeah, I, I I mentioned that there. I've already read one of the Christmas poems in the book, which is the Christmas Sparrow. Um, but there is another poem that I really loved in the book that um is sort of it's sort of Christmassy. Um, and if I can find it, um, I had it marked, and now I've lost my spot. So um, talk amongst yourselves as I, uh, as I uh, um, find this poem. So how's your April going? I can't believe it's almost May. Where well, here it is. I actually had a, okay, I had a bookmark. Okay, good. So um, this poem is called Air Piano. What page is it on? It's on page um, uh, 88 okay. in the book. Okay. Air Piano. And... Um, I'm I'm going to read you the whole poem, but um, you, it takes a little bit to get to the Christmas part of it. Air piano. Now that all the twilight has seeped out of the room, and I am alone listening, the bass is beginning to sound like my father ascending the flights of stairs. Always the same cadence every weekday evening, a beat you could build a city on. Mm. And the alto is the woman I sat next to on a train who wore a tiny silver watch around her wrist. The drums are drops of water on my forehead, one for every inhabitant of China. And the tenor, perhaps, is someone's younger brother who moved out west and never writes. Or 
a swan passing under a willow, but the piano. The piano is the piano. You gave me one, you, the piano is the piano you gave me one Christmas. A big black curve standing at the end of the room. A red bow tied around its leg while snow fell on the house and the long rows of hemlocks. Since then, I have learned some chords and a few standards, but I still love lying on the floor like this, eyes closed, hands locked behind my head, laying down the solo on Out of the Blue in the Fantasy Studios, Berkeley, California, on October 4th, 1951, when I was 10. So that's the other Christmas poem in there, okay? Gorgeous Christmas poem. Um, uh, well, I don't know. Would you consider that a Christmas poem? Um, I, I could maybe see Christmas. Well, yeah, because it does mention Christmas. But it's not, it's it's not a Christmas sparrow, yes. but it's still there. So um, the prompt that I'm going to give you tonight is um, what I want you to do is take 15 minutes and write about an unexpected Christmas present that you received, mm -hmm. okay? And what I want you to do, not just write about that unexpected Christmas present, which would be really easy, but I want you to write about where that Christmas present is now mm -hmm. and how it is, it is or is not still a part of your life. Okay, does that so that's it. You write about an unexpected Christmas present you received, and then you write about where that Christmas present is now, just like Billy Collins does with that piano. He's like, This is what I do with it now, you know, it's still there, but I, I like to lie on the floor and think of this, right? So that's what he does in that poem. So that's what you have to do with this. So here's your here's your time. I want you to pause the podcast now for 15 minutes write with us, and then um, we'll see you at the end of our writing time together. That is 15 minutes, long enough to write some bad poetry, but not long enough to sober up. I don't know about you, Beth, but... Well, it, or it's long, or not long enough to write some good drunken poetry. Is is it long enough to write good drunken poetry? Um, I don't... <laughs> I think you could write some good... I don't think you could ever write good drunken poetry. So time limits don't even matter. I don't know. Dylan Thomas could probably argue with you on that one, but... All right. Well, we anyway, we have something written. Yes, we do. All right. So why don't you go first, Beth? Okay. I don't have a title for mine. Because What's your my, title? I don't have a title because <laughs> you know very well I suck at titles. Okay. So we're just going to go right into it. All right. A graphing calculator. Mm. Too much to ask for. Just don't even bother. They could never afford one. 
just keep using the class one, even though everyone in the class had their own. The doctor's kids, minor's kids, lawyer's kids, and then me. My dad worked in maintenance, my mom in retail. I might as well have asked for a round-trip ticket to the ends of the earth. Fat chance of getting that, and then I held the box in my hand. Christmas morning, 1989. I thought, it, it can't be. It just can't be. Then I opened it. The video shows my utter surprise at such a gluttonous gift. Amazing. So when it came time to get one for our daughter, for her math class, I proudly offered her mine. She said, Mama, that's old. I want a new one. We could ill afford a new one. Such a gluttonous gift. And now my calculator, my amazing gift, lies somewhere at the bottom of a garbage pit, like so many other items from my childhood, like so many items from my life, broken, thrown away. Thank goodness no one got rid of me. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, I think you did it. Thanks. Yeah, you you weren't sure if you did it. You said, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm not sure if I followed even followed my own rules for this one. Well, you're allowed to set down the rules. You're allowed um, to break them. So here we go. Um, I'm gonna call this one a Christmas poem for my daughter who almost a Christmas poem for my daughter who almost is a college graduate. Okay. I received cross-country skis once, one Christmas morning. Tried them out that afternoon in the snowy field behind my house. Fell flat on my ass and never tried them again. Sold them at a garage sale five years later. Then there was the year I got an encyclopedia of the animal kingdom as a kid, when what I asked for was my own private Bigfoot, a creature who would live in my bedroom, protect me from kids who threw snowballs at my head when I walked home from school. I never got my Bigfoot, just pictures of spitting cobras killer whales chasing seals through Arctic Ocean. My most unexpected gift, Christmas night, after presents and then presents and ham and family and more family and even more family, I heard my newborn daughter cry in her crib. I went to her, lifted her up, held her against my chest, started to sing to her, probably Silent Night, because it was one song I knew all the words to. I sang, I, I sang to her, held her, and for the first time in my life, I really got Christmas, understood that in the tiny breaths and sounds of an infant, the whole world existed, ocean to ocean, continent to continent, the entire universe in my arms, sleeping, smelling of breast milk, trust, 
breathing comets and stars. Very nice. But you totally did not follow your own prompt. Yes, I did. How did I not follow my own prompt? You were supposed to write about a gift that you got That's for in Christmas. the title. That's in the title, though. A Christmas poem for my daughter, who's almost a college graduate. What? 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 Did, how did I not follow my own prompt? Your prompt was supposed to be something that you were given at Christmas, and then now where is it now? Right in the title, it's my daughter who's almost a college graduate, and it's a your poem. daughter is the Christmas gift. Yes, it's that infant daughter. Oh, very loose interpretation of that. Very loose, but then again, you've been doing lots of very loose interpretations this evening. So I'm Are not you surprised. criticizing my poem? I'm you not, sound like an academic snob to I'm me. I'm not criticizing your poem. It was beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're never supposed to use the word beautiful to describe a poem. At least that's what he said. But no. No, was, was, no I liked it a lot. I think I, I don't think I broke my rules that much. You're allowed to because bend them a little bit because you're the one who made I wrote comments. about the Christmas present, which was my daughter. Okay, okay, okay. And then I, in the title, it says where she, she is, is now. now. Okay, I, I can buy that. Okay, okay. All right. Wow. <laughs> I am your harshest and best critic. You know that. Wow. I thought that, that you would really like that poem, but it sounds like you really hated it. I don't it. All right. Well, anyway, um, now that you have heard the absolute crap that my wife claims I've written, no, and uh, and that I've created and she's created tonight, you know that you have probably written something better than we did. So please paste what you wrote in the comments to this episode, or email it to litforchristmas at gmail dot com. And we will read what you send us on our next episode. Speaking of next episode. I know you. You. You are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You will show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. That's a spirit, ghost of the future. Oh, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. For May, in honor of National Mental Health Awareness Month, we will be reading J.D. Salinger's novel, The Catcher in the Rye. Which people forget takes place entirely at Christmas time. Nothing says Christmas like a nervous breakdown. So get yourself a copy of The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger and restock your liquor cabinet. Your invitation is already in the mail for May's Lit for Christmas party, which will drop hopefully on May 24th. So join us in a month as we get Lit for Christmas again. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us. All of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone.
Thank you for coming to our little Yuletide shindig. The theme for this show is Jingle Bells Jazzy Style by Julius H., used courtesy of Pixabay. And the Lit for Christmas writing music is A Christmas Treat by Magic828, also used courtesy of Pixabay. All music, sounds, audio clips, and quotes in this podcast are the property of their individual copyright holders. They are used solely for the purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Tomorrow morning, drink lots of water, go to the library and check out some Christmas books, visit the liquor store and stock up on Christmas cheer. Your invitation is already in the mail for next month's Lit for Christmas party. The tree will be lit, and so will we. Let's keep the Christmas spirits flowing all year long.